It's, uh, it's an incredible honor to be in the room with you all tonight, uh, to, to get to teach, uh, to get to talk about God's Word, to, to really get to um, talk about something that, um, that I'm so passionate about, that I have been so blessed to be able to uh, be a part of for so many years. And so I'm excited uh, to be able to teach uh, on this tonight. And, and I believe that we're all going to learn something new tonight. I believe that I'm even going to learn something new. Even as, as someone trying to communicate something to you, I know that I'm going to be uh, someone who receives from this tonight as well. Uh, so my assignment tonight is to teach on a disciple is one that is active in fulfilling Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations. And we've been talking about that, right, already. We've been talking about uh, uh, making disciples, and we've been talking about uh, what Jesus has called us to do as disciples. But I want to communicate clearly tonight that, that a disciple is one that is active in fulfilling Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations. And last week, Pastor Alex taught us so beautifully on how disciples make disciples, right? He used a beautiful text out of the Gospel of Matthew to highlight the command of Jesus to his disciples to make disciples, right? And we understand that this group of disciples, right, that when Jesus was communicating to them, when he gives this great commission to them that we read of in Matthew 28, they, they were a confused bunch, right? Jesus, Jesus was just crucified, resurrected, they were a little bit confused, confused about their purpose as Jesus' followers, wondering what they would do now because they were being persecuted and they were on the run. They, they, people weren't really friendly with them at this point, right? And Jesus shows up to them in this, in this very crucial moment in his resurrected form. And we read of that just like we talked about last week, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This is what Jesus says when he shows up to them, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, this is such a beautiful passage that uh, gave these disciples such a clear mission, right? This commission didn't just stop with even these disciples. It was, it was what drove the, the early church, right? The church then. It's what's continuing to drive the church today to continue to build the kingdom of God all over the world. It's this great commission that drives us forward. Now, before we get too much further in this, I want to I give a, a little myth buster for you here real quickly. A little myth buster. So my, my wife, Neely, and I, uh, we, we have been on several short-term mission trips over the years, uh, even spending uh, several years in, in Vietnam, Malaysia, uh, doing missions work. And oftentimes when we come back home to raise support, we, we're communicating what we're doing and what God has done, and uh, we're, we're raising support to go back. And, and they'll either say one of two things. They'll, they'll, they'll say, oh, well, you're, you're so special. <laughs> you're, you're such a special Christian, kind of like a superhero. I'm like, uh, uh, okay. Or, or they, they say, you must really know how to live without. Right, you must really know how to suffer. God bless you. Here you go. I'm like, oh, oh no, no, God's faithful, right? So they either either say like superhero or or you're missing out. But but God hasn't just chosen the missionary, right, to take the gospel to the nations. He hasn't just chosen the missionary to make disciples of all nations. No, a missionary is a disciple first. And I think we need to understand that because we can't be a missionary without becoming a disciple. So a missionary is always a disciple. A disciple can be a missionary, right? Because a missionary is one that takes the gospel to another culture, to another country, to do the work of ministry, right? And we're the ones that give that, that label. We're the ones that call someone a missionary. Jesus never called 
the disciples, missionaries, he's just, look, you're my disciples, you're my followers, now go and preach the gospel to the nations, right? And so, so I think for, to fully be able to grab God's heart for the nations and what he's trying to communicate in the Great Commission, we have to, we have to get that idea that there's these superhero Christians out in the world and it's only their job to take the gospel to the nations. We've got to get that out of our thinking because, no, it's a call that he's placed on the church. And the church is made up of Jesus followers. And Jesus followers are disciples. And so that's who is called to take the gospel to the nations. So it is, it's my hope tonight that you would be able to see so clearly that, that God has had one plan from the very get-go. And that is reaching all nations using his people. And yes, that means you. <laughs> you can't get out of it. He's chosen you. He's called you. He wants to use you. So I want to unpack that for us tonight, as well as giving us a glimpse uh, at the task of reaching the nations that really remains around the world, and to give us some practical ways that you and I, as d disciples of Jesus, can participate in fulfilling this great commission that Jesus has given his church. Let me, let me pray for us one more time. Father, I, I just say thank you. Thank you for allowing us to be in this room tonight. Thank you for the call that you have, have given us, the, the commission to take the gospel to the nations. God, thank you that from cover to cover, through the word of God, through your word, that we can see your heart for the nations and, and you wanting to invite us in that process of reaching the nations. So, God, we just say thank you for that. And I ask that, that as I communicate, God, you would help us to see that so clearly. You would help us to see that you have called each one of us to partner with you to reach the nations for your glory. God, open our eyes to see that tonight. Let it be so impacted in our hearts tonight that when we leave this room, we could say that, ah, surely you are a God who loves your people and you're inviting me in that process to reach the nations that I love. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Come on. Now, at 19 years of age, I, I surrender my heart to Jesus and sense a, a really strong calling to, to ministry. And, and I quickly began to see and notice that, that God's heart was so much bigger than I ever dreamed of. And, and one of the things that really helped me get to that place was I had the opportunity uh, in 2005 to take a short-term mission trip to El Salvador. And um, we actually have a, a wonderful picture here. Right? Now, there's a, there's a few familiar faces in here. You have Pastor Philip, Pastor Destiny there on the bottom right, Lillian. So, Pastor Philip mentioned a missionary that we support. Lillian is one uh, missionary that North Point supports. Uh, now, I don't know if you can find me or not. Bottom left. All right? I was back in my football playing days when I had a full head of hair. All right, um, so yeah, and then Neely is tucked, tucked in there on that bottom row, so if you, can, if you can see that pretty white smile, that's my beautiful bride. We weren't da dating then or married then, but, but God did it, amen. <clears throat> but, uh, but man, this, this trip was so impactful for my life. Um, it, it, was, it was one of the first trips I'd ever taken just shortly after giving my heart's, uh, heart to Christ. And I can remember we were at a school, and several of us had the opportunity to share our testimony, and, and, and multiple students came down to the front to receive prayer. And I can remember taking a group of students to the side, and, and we began to pray for them. And there was this young uh, teenage boy I, I was praying for, and I just laid my hand on his head and closed my eyes, and I just began to pray, God, touch him, God, fill him, Holy Spirit, fill him with power. And, the, and then all of a sudden, I couldn't feel him anymore, so I said, oh, I better open my eyes. Well, he was falling down, and, and I had to catch him, right? And so before he hits the floor, and I realized, like, okay, he, he's, he's really received a touch from God. The power of the Holy Spirit has touched him. So I knelt down beside him and, and just continued to pray. And, and I can picture this just like it happened yesterday. 
he was laying there, and you could tell just the Lord was really doing something in his heart, and he began to cry, and his eyes were closed, and his eye socket began to fill up with tears, and in that moment, the Lord spoke to my heart so clearly. He said, Brandon, these are the tears of the nations that I've called you for, and it was in that moment that God marked my heart, that he impressed so strongly upon my heart that my love is for the nations. It's for people that look differently than you. It's for the nations. And that started a journey for me of of beginning to discover how big God's heart is, of how great his love is for for people that, that have a different skin color than I do, for people that speak a different language than I do, for people that live in a different country, a city, state, whatever than I do, for people that work a different job or, or don't work than I do. So all of these things, my paradigm of the way I viewed how God saw people changed. And it was all for a moment to see and realize that, hey, God's so much bigger. He so cares about the nations. And I've been on a journey ever since to discover really what that looks like. And a big portion of that journey was when I began to realize in Scripture, we can see God's heart for the nations all throughout the Bible. And tonight I want to try my best in the very short time we have to unpack the heart of God for the nations, to allow you to to see the the common thread throughout the entirety of Scripture of of how God loves the nations and how he wants to use you to reach the nations. But a quick look at how the Bible is kind of laid out, and this will just uh, move us right into the next portion here. But, but the, the Bible is laid out into three parts. We've got the introduction. We could say that's Genesis chapter 1 through 11. And this really acquaints us with the problem, the dilemma. Um, and then it kind of like a good story whets our appetite for the plot that's to come. And then we could say the, the plot. The big, the big chunk of Scripture, Genesis 12 through the book of Jude, uh, is, is like the intro to the Bible's main characters, try, trying to solve this dilemma that we have on our hands. And then the conclusion, the, the book of Revelation, to where God achieves the goal of redeeming all nations. And so for the next few minutes, I want to uh, unpack this this thought, that this idea, this theme that God has had one plan from the very get-go, and that is reaching all nations using his people. Are you ready? Because we got to rock and roll. No, it's going to be good. So in the beginning, right, God created everything for himself and for his glory. He made man so that that God could share his fellowship. And we see that in Genesis 1, 28, where it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. You know, at this point, we know that there were no people other than Adam and Eve on earth. So, so obvious meaning, the obvious meaning is here, uh, here is that it is physical reproduction. But however, I believe, I believe there was this desire um, uh, from the heart of God uh, for them to re- reproduce a spiritual heritage. Can you, can you picture it? Can you picture it with me? A planet covered with worshipers. Uh, as people spread through the earth, as cultures begin to develop, uh, individualizing their own style of worshiping the one true God. Can, can you just see that? The heart of God in the beginning. And it was almost like what we read in, in, in Isaiah eleven nine, right? He says that the earth would be filled with worshipers as the water covers the sea. I think that's the picture maybe that God had in his mind right there in the beginning. But then obviously sin enters in and and man decided to live for themselves. And in Genesis 3 through 6, we see sin enter into the heart of man and their, their hearts begin to be filled with evil. 
We catch a glimpse of that in Genesis 6, 5 through 8. It says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of, of, hum, of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and, the, and within the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move on the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But here we get a glimpse of hope. But Noah, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And I don't know about you, but when I read this, thinking maybe God said, uh-uh, it's not over. I've got a plan. I've got somebody, I've got my eye on him. So God gives the same command to Noah that he had given to Adam and Eve, and we see that in Genesis 9-1. Then God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Now one would begin to hope that we would get it right this time. Would the earth be filled with people that worshiped God? But sadly, no, if we know the rest of the story, humanity would again turn inward, begin being concerned only with themselves instead of going outward, creating worshipers of the Lord. And so God's people begin to be united and powerful, but not in the way that they would need to be. And Genesis 11 shows how God's children blatantly disobeyed the heart of God by turning inward, concerned only with themselves and making a name for themselves only. And we, we catch a glimpse of that in Genesis chapter 11, verses 3 and 4. It says, They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that they may make a name, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So now why the detail of this story? Why, why, the, why the bricks and why, why the tar? There's a book that I've been reading and this author kind of makes uh, some, gives us some insight on this story. He says we could think of it almost like a child patting their rear end, getting ready for a spanking. <laughs> because they were very aware of how God flooded the earth. They were trying to protect themselves from the consequences of their disobedience by the way that they built this city. Steve Hawthorne, a mission strategist, says this about this instance. He says, the Babel people, united in disbelief, they saw rainbows in the sky, which signified that never again will the water become a flood to destroy all life. But they didn't believe it. They wanted to be really sure. So the folks at Babel built a tower, and they, like most people, had two basic needs, security and significance, by groping for glory. You see, and in this moment, God responded in quite a different way to their disobedience in Genesis 11. Much different than he did with, with Adam and Eve and, and with the flood and, and with, here at Babel. He, 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 he does something super so different. In Genesis 11 and 6, six through 8, he says, The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and, and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all, over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. And we could say that God's diversification of languages here at Babel was God's merciful way of avoiding the destruction of the world, the whole human race, Right? who rebelled against him. And I think in that moment, when God scrambled the languages of the people uh, so that they could no longer communicate easily with each other, by doing so, he forms, right, the tribes, right? He forms the different tribes and the people groups of the world, and they spread to the north, the south, the east, and the west. So we've already heard that God, God wanted to fill the earth, but he wanted to fill it with worshipers. 
So he confuses them, sending them out. So his plan to fill the earth is, is happening, right? And this brings us to the place where we now may wonder, how is God? How is he going to reach these scattered nations? But don't worry, God's got a plan. <laughs> He's got a plan because his heart is so set on filling the earth with worshipers and using his people to do it. And, and so out of those nations that he created, those some 70 nations that he created, God chose a man named Abraham, right? Let's take a quick glimpse at Abraham because Abraham was not probably uh, the one that God should have chosen. If he wanted to make his name great, famous, infamous, whatever, Abraham was an unlikely candidate. He was unknown. He was a, he was a sojourner. Like he, he, tra- he, he, he had no reputation. Nobody knew who he was. His parents were idol worshipers. So here's God trying to pick a man to fill the earth with worshipers, and he chooses Abraham? Surely he could have picked somebody else. But one thing is clear, and this is something we kind of can pick up through this whole theme. One thing is clear is that God is not concerned with ability, but with availability. When God called Abraham, he was available, and he said yes. And we get a beautiful picture of this call of Abraham when God makes a covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It says, the Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And the peoples, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So God's got a guy that he's making this covenant with, and he's going to begin to bless the nations. There's three parts to this promise. Number one, God would bless Abraham personally through descendants and land. Number two, through Abraham's descendants, a great nation would emerge. And number three, he would be the source of blessing to all peoples of the earth. And so Abraham, Abraham was the guy that God has chosen, right? God essentially says here that that he would bless Abraham and all his descendants, turning them into a great nation that would in turn bless all the other nations. And so this covenant that he makes with Abraham was just between he and Abraham at this moment. But man, what God was seeing was so much greater, was so much bigger. And if you know the story, we know Abraham struggled with that. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they, there was a struggle with this covenant, with this, with this being able to see the end result that God was seeing, that God was promising. But we have to remember that God's heart is set on filling the earth with worshipers and using his people to do it. And God would eventually call this nation out of Abraham the nation of Israel, and, and he would then demonstrate his glory through them in many ways, right? He, he gave them a set of laws to live by so that they could live separate and holy lives from all the other nations. We catch a glimpse of that in Deuteronomy 4, uh, verses 5 through 8. It says, and this is Moses speaking, he says, Look, I now teach you these decrees and regulations just as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. So God's got a place they're going. Obey them completely, and you will display your wisdom and intelligence among the surrounding nations. When they hear all these decrees, they will exclaim, how wise and prudent are the people of this great nation. So God's plan and desire in giving these laws and giving these ways that the Israelites would live by would be so that, so that the nations that are surrounding them could see this God that they serve. Deuteronomy 14.2, you have been set apart as holy to the Lord your God. 
And he has chosen you, speaking of Israel, you from all the nations of the earth to be his own special treasure. So his plan was that Israel would be this display to the nations. See, God wanted to display his people, Israel, to the nation to say, this is who I am, and this is how I love. And so by living out this command, by living out his commands in the sight of the nation, Israel would encourage people to love God and to love others. That was what they were doing. And, you know, God even gave Israel a special geographical location. And if you know anything, Ryan, about geography, we can see that even today, that the place on the earth was strategic. It was strategically located in the middle of, the, of all the other nations and, and therefore making them a light to all nations, showing them the path to God even in this dark world. That's what Ezekiel 5.5 tells us. It says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. This is Jerusalem, which I have set in the center of the nations with countries all around her. So they were strategically set up in the center of the known nations to be a light for God. And sometimes this call would be lived out as, as, if, as we see when we read the rest of Scripture, right, through, through the prophets, the major minor prophets, we see they struggle with this. But understanding God's desire to bless all the peoples of the earth through them, other times they would fall into the same trap, right, again and again, and glorifying itself rather than glorifying God. And we see that in Scripture. They, they kind of go back and forth with this. But even... Even in the midst of Israel getting off track, God would intervene, just like he did in the beginning, just like he did at the flood, just like he did at Babel. God would continue to intervene because he had a plan, and he would raise up these prophets to remind them of of their mandate to bless the nations. Other times he'd discipline them by allowing them to even be made captive by other nations. But regardless, God used Israel, even in their disobedience, to make his name great throughout the earth. And I love that about the heart of God. Because even in their mess-ups, even in their disobedience, even in their their jacked-upness with Abraham, Isaac, if you read their story, you will understand, so jacked up. But even in their dysfunction, God still chose to use them to make his name great among the earth. Because remember, God, God's heart is set on filling the earth with worshipers and using his people to do it. And all of this, right, all of this was really just the beginning. Because through all of the ups and downs, Israel, they grew hungry for a promised Messiah king who would establish an everlasting kingdom that would never be defeated. We see that so beautifully in Daniel 7. 14, when it says he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him, speaking of Jesus. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And this brings us to Jesus. You see, God sent Jesus to the earth to radically demonstrate the Father's love for both Jew and Gentile. See, Jesus, really quickly, we know he was from King David's bloodline, a royal bloodline, a very Jewish bloodline. But in his genealogy, he had both Jew and Gentile in it. And this is important because it shows the beautiful picture that he wasn't just for a one people. He was for and from all people. You see, the first worshipers even of Jesus were the wise men, right? Gentiles from the east. That's what Matthew 2 tells us. Then it says the angels, they even proclaim that, that his salvation would be for all peoples. At his baby dedication even, he would be declared as a light for revelation to the Gentiles. This is Jesus, the Messiah. Time and time again, Christ reminded his disciples that God's plan from the beginning was to bless all peoples. And he didn't just say it, he modeled it. Jesus lived it, right? 
If you remember in Mark 11, where he talked, uh, where, where he goes into the temple, and he was angry when the temple wasn't being used for a house of prayer for the all nations. He set that straight. <laughs> he preached the good news to Jews and Gentiles, right? To rich, to poor, to educated, to uneducated. He served Canaanites, Samaritans, Romans, and Greeks. He was a Messiah for all people, for all nations. He lived a perfect life. He died a perfect death. And he rose again in a perfect resurrection and then commanded his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. And he told us in Matthew 24, 14, that this gospel, that this gospel must be preached in all the world as a testimony to all ethnic groups. And then, and then the end would come. If you want to be a part of bringing the kingdom of God to the earth, of bringing Jesus to the earth, let's get busy in sharing this good news with the nations. Acts 2 is a beautiful story too, right? Acts 2 was the very beginnings when, uh, of this when the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you remember the story? The 120 were in the upper room, and they were seeking the Lord, there, and the Holy Spirit fell upon them, and, and the nations of the, of the then world heard the commotion, and they began to gather, and they began to hear of these 120 speak and declare the goodness of God in all the nations of the world, and they could hear it. It's a beautiful picture of the nations being reached. And it continued when God called the apostles to preach the gospels to the Gentiles. And it continues now even today. And we are waiting, right? We're waiting for that end to come that, that we see in the book of Revelation. When the Lamb of God, Jesus, has purchased with his blood people from every nation. Those people will form a multitude that nobody can count, right? From every tribe, every tongue and people group worshiping and saying salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So by reaching the nations, man, we are filling heaven with worshipers of Jesus, and we see that in Revelation 7, and that's the story of the Bible. From cover to cover, God chose to use a people that was messed up. <laughs> time and time again, he involved himself in the process because he had a heart to reach the nations. And he wanted so badly, so badly to use his people to do it. And that process is not over, right? That process is not over. You know, there, there's a great book, and, and I wanted to give it to you because... <clears throat> I think you would benefit from it. It, it goes a lot deeper in, in what I just covered. It goes a lot more detail. Uh, the Abrahamic Revolution by Todd Arend. And it's it's fascinating. It's something that I read often, and it just stirs my heart and just continues to remind me of how big God's heart is for the nations. But but let's now, let's reconsider, okay? Let's reconsider the Great Commission in light of this theme. In light of this scene that we find throughout all of Scripture, that God's heart is so set on filling the earth with worshipers—excuse me—with worshipers and His people to do it. You see, it's it's not a new command, right? It's not a new command, rather an old one. There, therefore, we should uh, we should uh, it should be seen as an extension of the theme that already exists, right? So, this great commission, this commission that Jesus gives the church, His disciples shouldn't be something new. It should be uh, something that, 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 that is a continuation, an extension uh, of something that already exists. So who, who's heard of the Great Commission? Okay. Now, did you know it's not just written in Matthew? Yeah. It's actually written and declared five different times in the New Testament, in five different books. Uh, fun fact. Jesus didn't coin the term Great Commission. I don't know if you knew that. Um, neither he or the apostles actually used it. 
Uh, it wasn't until the 19th century that this term would even be used to encompass all five um, mentionings, all five references of this great commission. But over the next few minutes, I want to just unpack each of these to show us some key ideas about them. But Matthew 28, 18 through 20, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So the key idea here is to make disciples. The, 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 key, the key theme, the, the key call is to make disciples of this first Great Commission passage. Now, now we could say that the foundation of that call, of the foundation of this, of this commission is really on verse 18 when Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That All the credit, really, we could say, comes from that. Right, All the authority comes from that. No one else can claim that authority. Nobody else can say that all authority in heaven and on earth has, is mine. Right, And when one with that type of authority speaks, he should be obeyed. I think we would agree with that. And so the emphasis here is on making disciples. Well, how, how do we do that, right? Pastor Alex taught so beautifully with that. Everything that he taught is 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 what we do. We make disciples by baptizing them and by teaching them. And, and we could really read this command like this, as, as you are going, make disciples. As you are baptizing, make disciples. As you are teaching, make disciples. As you are living your life, make disciples, right? Of who? Of nations, right? Of individuals that make up nations of individuals that look a little bit differently than you, of individuals that, that are in, the diff, in different circles than you. It's impossible. No, 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 it's not. Jesus said it is. He said he's with you because he's the one that has the authority to send you and to walk with you. So it's not impossible. Well, Mark 16, the second Great Commission passage, Mark 16, 15, and 16. Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. It says, He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, the key idea here is preach, right? To proclaim, to proclaim the good news. Well, but I'm not a preacher. That's okay. Neither am I. <laughs> now, when we proclaim this good news, it's and you're, you're sharing good news. You're sharing it publicly. You're sharing it excitedly because it's radically transformed your life, right? And so as a disciple, we share what we've received in an excited manner. It doesn't have to always be on a stage in a church. It's in the streets. It's at the grocery store. It's at your office, right? But we preach. That's, that's the call here in this second passage to proclaim that good news. And then the third great commission passage, Luke 24, verses 44 through 49, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Now, the key idea here is witness. Is witness here in this passage. You see, Luke reveals... Uh, how Jesus brought that theme that we've already looked at through the, the, old, the old Testament, that, that he was a fulfillment of everything written about him in the law and the prophets, right? He's saying, I have fulfilled this. And he's trying to, what I think he's trying to do here is, is that Jesus is tying the church's mission into the context 
of the entirety of Scripture. So, so he's trying to break that divide. He's trying to break the, the separation. What he's saying is that, no, this isn't a new thing. This has been the heart of my Father throughout all of eternity. And it's, it's time we, we say yes to this. You see, the disciples were witnesses of these things, and therefore they were responsible. But Jesus then warns them, right? He says, he says do not go out without being clothed with power from on high. There's something about that, being empowered by the Holy Spirit to fulfill the Great Commission, to be a witness. And then in John 20, 21, the fourth Great Commission passage, says, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And the key idea here is being sent. And another fun fact, John refers to Jesus being the sent one 40 different times in the gospel. And on the 40th one, and I thought this was pretty cool, on the 40th one, he sends the disciples. Right? He sends them out. They're sent. And Jesus' life provided a blueprint for his followers, right? And now it was time for these disciples to, to walk in the hills, to be a disciple of the one that was reaching the nations, to, to do those things that Jesus did. And then in Acts 1.8, the fifth and final Great Commission passage, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, the key idea here is the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, given this, this great commission was given just before Jesus' ascension into heaven. And, and it was the final command, the final command that his disciples would hear the Lord give, right? And, and, and one author says, says it this way about this verse. He says, um, um, Jesus' last command should be our first priority. Jesus' last command should be our first priority. So, so, so these disciples are receiving this. As Jesus is getting ready to go and be with the Father, he says, hey, go. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes in on you. You're going to be my witness, now go, right? They're obsessed with this command. The disciples obsessed with Jesus' last command. And we see this gospel, right? From that point on, we see this gospel being proclaimed by disciples who were filled with power, with the power of the Holy Spirit for the rest of the New Testament and still even today. And I believe for one, one simple reason, right? God's heart. God's heart is so set on filling the earth with worshipers that he wants to use us. He wants to use us to do it, right? So, when, so we know it's God's heart to reach the nations. We know, we know that, and he wants to use us. We, we've heard that. So let's take a look real quickly and some stats. And I, I'm going to show you a bunch of stats tonight, but, but I don't want you to see it as, oh, man, we, we suck. <laughs> oh man, we're never going to accomplish this. But what I want I want it to do is just to give you a different perspective. To say, hey, th- this is where the heart of God is. This is what God is concerned about. This is what what God wants to invite you into making an impact in. And so so we've got some we've got some uh scriptures here. I mean, uh, pr- some some um statistics here on the task remaining. Now, so the world population, anybody know the world population? Okay, we got them up there. Cool. So the world population, 7.9 billion people. Okay. 7.9 billion people. Now that population is broken down into people groups. Okay. People groups. Now 17,432 people groups represent that 7.9 billion people. Does, Does anybody know what a people group is? Right? So a people group would be a, a group of people in which the gospel can spread, in, in the Christian context, in which the gospel can spread without limitation, without, without barriers, without language barriers, culture barriers. Right there, they, they, they have common culture, common language, common things that they associate around. So that's, that's a people group, okay? So there's 17,432 of these people groups. 
Now, those people groups are broken down into kind of three categories here. So reach people groups, unevangelized people groups, and unreached people groups. Okay, really quickly, reach people groups, there's 7,070, representing about 3.74 billion people. Okay, so, so, so one of the larger groups here. Uh, and, and reach people groups are meaning that they're majority Christian. Okay, now unevangelized people groups, that, that's 2,960 groups. Okay, that, that's 819 million people. Now, when we say unevangelized, we, we mean that there is greater than 2% Christian, but there's still um, not um, a, a very strong work. There's still not a very strong church prevalent to where they can begin to evangelize their own people. Okay, so that's what we say when we mean unevangelized. Now, unreached people groups. Okay, this is the second largest group here. Um, uh, uh, sorry, the, the greatest group out of the three. That 7,402 people groups are considered unreached. Okay, that means 3.28 billion people have still yet to hear the gospel. And unreached means that less than 2% are Christian. So that's how a unreached people group is classified. And so what that leaves us with is that 52% of the world's population is considered in that unreached and unevangelized portion of the world. Pretty, pretty, pretty drastic, right? Now, there's a there's an area of the world that that uh, that has the most um, concentration, the largest concentration of these unevangelized and unreached peoples, and it's it's known as the 1040 window. The 1040 window, and and if you can see that box that's that's in the northern portion of Africa, through the Middle East and India, China, uh, that area is known as the 1040 window, and and actually 96.3 percent of the world's unreached people are located geographically in what uh, what scholars call the 1040 window. Now, the total population in the 1040 window, if you want to know, it's 5.2 billion people. Uh, total people groups in the 1040 window, it's 8,875 people groups. Total unreached people groups, remember, less than 2% Christian. Total unreached people groups, 6,161 unreached people groups. That's 3.16 billion people. 3.16 billion people that have yet to hear the gospel located in that, that 1040 window. That's 60% of the unreached peoples, right, right there. 60%. And what's, what's tough about these places in that 1040 window, majority are closed countries. Majority are closed countries. So 60% of the unreached people groups live in country closed to missionaries. From, the, from Northern America, from, from the West, really, mainly political reasons, closed countries, friend. it's not just missionary, it's, it's outside uh, influence, right? And then we could, we, there's another statistic, over a thousand unreached people groups are not, okay, are not, by this map, you can kind of see that, that breakup, over a thousand people groups are not in that 1040 window, right? They're scattered, um, they're scattered, but the heavy concentration and this is what I wanted you to see tonight. The heavy concentration of the most unreached peoples are right there in that 1040 window. Now, these, these people groups, one, one classifying thing that qualifies a people group is, is language, right? That's one, one classifying thing. And there, now, now, there's an estimated of 7,378 languages worldwide. But how many of you know it takes the Scripture to be able to effectively disciple and reach and proclaim the gospel to these peoples, right? So some Bible translation statistics here. So there's 3,495 languages with some scripture portions, some scripture portions, 717 languages with a complete Bible, in 1,582 languages with a complete New Testament. But here's some languages with no scripture. There's 828 languages have work in progress. 
1,892 languages need translation. 1,119 languages are not really vital enough. I'm not sure why they say that. Why is it not vital enough? (laughs) But not vital enough to plan translation work. 44 language communities served by scripture in another language, meaning that those languages or those peoples probably know multiple languages, and so they're going to be um, taught and, and, and share the scripture in a language that they do speak. But it's nonetheless, it's not their heart language. But there's 1.51 billion people that do not have a full Bible in their first language. So, yeah, we have a lot of people to reach in the 1040 window, but we've got a long way to go in our Bible translation, right? And it's key. If we want to reach that area of the world, it's key to have the scriptures. And there's there's incredible organizations working on that. But but remember, so we, we've looked at these stats, and they can be staggering. It can make you kind of feel bad. It can let the air out of your cell a little bit. Like, wow, what in the world are we going to do? But remember, remember these two things. A disciple is one that is active in fulfilling Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations. And God has had one plan, right, from the very get-go, and that is reaching all nations using his people. It will happen. It will happen. Yeah, these stats are staggering. The task is enormous, but it will happen. So what's, what's my part to play? And so I just want to get really practical now. What's my part to play? How can you, how can I, a disciple of Jesus, um, be a disciple that participates in God's plan of reaching all nations? And the first thing we can do is we can pray. The first thing and probably the most important thing is pray, right? There's a powerful quote by Elizabeth Elliot, who is the wife of the famous Jim Elliot missionary. She says, prayer lays hold of God's plan and becomes the link between his will and its accomplishment on earth. Amazing things happen, and we are given the privilege of being channels of the Holy Spirit's prayer. You know, I've gone to many of the countries of the world, and, and I've been in many of the most hard-to-reach places of the world, and, and I did it without a passport, did it without money, did it without even leaving my home. That was a joke. But I did it through prayer, because that's the reality. Prayer takes you to places that you could never go, right behind the closed doors of the closed countries. Through prayer, you can be on the scene during any crisis of the world, right? Prayer allows us to channel the working of the Holy Spirit to be directed to wherever we pray and to whomever we pray for, right? All we have to do is be aware of the crisis that are that's happening around the world, the Russian and Ukraine crisis, right? The refugee crisis, the hunger crisis, all types of crisis. We watch the news. What do we pray for? Pray with, for, for what you see on the news, right? Pray for, for missionaries that you know. Pray for, for people going overseas to, to spread the, the gospel that you know, right? We pray for them. But a wonderful tool that I've used over and over for the year for, for several years is, is found in the, in the Global Pride, uh, Prayer Digest. And what you can do is you can go to, the, to Global Pride, globalprayerdigest.org and you can download, or sorry, excuse me, sign up for an, a, a daily email and they'll send you an unreached people group every single day. And Eddie, you've, you've got an image of that. And this is, what it, this is what it looks like, right? They give you a picture. <laughs> It's nice to have a picture to know who you're praying for. They give you the name and how to pronounce it because I'm not, I don't know Mandarin or whatever dialect they speak. Um, You know, so they give you a little bit of a background, some obstacles, outreach ideas, scripture focus, prayer focus. So, So every day you can receive a different people group in your inbox that you can take five minutes to pray for. So many ways we can be involved in the work of prayer. Reaching the nations. Um, 
another couple of prayer resources are out of Operation World. You can go to operationworld.org, operationworld.org, all types of prayer information. Joshua Project is another one, joshuaproject.net. They give you all types of resources, statistics, people groups of the day, different things like that, so many prayer resources. But then the second practical way that we can be involved in, in reaching the nations is, is to give, right? We can give. We can give. Now, here's a, a quick stat. Uh, not to, again, not to make us feel bad at all, right? Only, but only 7.4% of Christian missions giving is going toward reaching the unevangelized and unreached peoples of the world. So it's a very small percentage of what, of what the global church, not, not talking about our church, talk, the global church, right, missions giving, very small percentage goes to the unevangelized, unreached portions of the world. Eddie, do you have that, that map there? So you can kind of see just the, the breakdown, right, of, of, of missions giving. Remember the 1040 window, right? It was that northern portion of, of Africa. Well, the gray represents not a lot of money going there, right? Those little little green dots, one dot, less than $2 million of church and parachurch income. So, so, so the resources are clearly allocated in areas outside of the most needed areas, right? And so what can we do? We can give. We can give to missions effort, like Pastor Philip was saying. We, we support church planters, all, all in that 1040 window area. Keep, keep giving. Maybe bump it a little bit, right? What else can we give to? So we support uh, a missionary, as I told you in that picture, uh, Lillian, who works in Vietnam and Singapore. Amazing, right? So many, so many people, so many ways giving. Here locally, we can give to BTS, right? That's part of that's part of missions. That's our local missions. You got that's where you can start, right? BTS. And the third the third practical thing that we can do to to be involved in reaching the nations is go, right? We can go. For me, it started with a week long trip that I shared with you earlier to El Salvador, and I've been to fifteen plus countries now but it started with one. It started with me taking that step, raising those few thousand dollars and saying, hey, I want to go for a week and to see how God can use me. But maybe it's you serving with, with us tonight, tomorrow night at Cumberland Farms in a neighborhood that, that has children that, that need hope, that need the gospel of Jesus. You can serve for an hour and a half and feed them and love on them and encourage them and share the gospel with them. That, that's local missions. Right here in your city, common ground. We we go every every other third or every third Thursday of the month, and and that's just into Shreveport in the, in the Cedar Grove area, serving a community, right? That's local mission. That's what you can give here right now. Maybe you say, "Hey, with my son or my daughter or my my grandkids, my nephews, whatever, I'm going to take a I'm going to take a trip to the Atlanta Dream Center for the summer. Spend spend three or four days over there to serve that community." Whatever you can do, it doesn't have to be that overseas trip. It doesn't have to be that week-long trip to Africa. Let's start small. Let's take a step, right? In 2023, uh, Pastor Philip and I were talking the other day, we're definitely leading a trip somewhere overseas and, and local, right? And so, so be look, looking out for that. It's a great way. We've, we've taken teams to Tanzania with Pastor Johannes. We've taken teams to, to Madagascar and seen just incredible things happen, right? But it just takes one trip to get the bug. I promise you, just one trip to get the bug. One trip. But you can go. You can go. Remember, it's not always about going overseas, right? It can start here and your faith grows, right? Your ability grows. What you see God do through you and in you grows. And, man, it can lead lead there. And the, and the fourth thing I, I want to talk about, and, and we're, we're going to close after this, but it, it's is we can welcome. The fourth practical way that we can be involved in reaching the nations is we can welcome. We can welcome them. Now, for years I was involved at uh, the, the Evangel International 
uh, uh, student dorms as an RA. We had students from China, from, from Inner Mongolia, from Africa, from Korea, from Brazil come, and many of them had never heard the gospel. <laughs> and I had incredible opportunities every week to just sit down one-on-one with, with several uh, a week and just be able to share Jesus. Man, it's a beautiful way to welcome the nations into your home. Every year, Evangel's looking for host homes to host exchange students from Vietnam, from China, Korea. It's a beautiful, a beautiful opportunity for you to, to really welcome the nations and have an opportunity to share Jesus with them. And so if you're interested in that, I'd love for you to talk more about it with you. But I, I believe that's an incredible way to welcome. Now, now there's some staggering statistics, and I won't go into all of them. Eddie, if you just show that last map, and we'll, we'll close it out here. But just to give us a picture of how many international students are coming to study abroad, right? You can see those from Brazil, 13,000, Mexico, 50,000, Canada, 28,000. Even you go, in, go into that 1040 region, 54,000, right? China, 274,000. It's incredible how many, how many of the nations are coming through our country to be educated in what better way to welcome them or what better way to share Jesus with them than to welcome them, right? Right? Quick quote, quick quote about this. It is estimated that by the, near, by the year 2025 that 50% of all the world leaders will have been international students. Currently, there are over 1.3 million international students studying in the U.S., and over 4.5 million studying worldwide today. So this is truly an incredible opportunity to fulfill the Great Commission, to reach the nations. So we pray, we give, we go, and we welcome. Can we pray together? Father, I thank you for your goodness. God, I thank you for your heart. God, I thank you for what you're doing in our hearts even tonight. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would just highlight an area that we each could take part in fulfilling the Great Commission, fulfilling reaching the nations. God, show us what we can do to be a part of what you're doing around the world. God, we just thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.